When we're talking about living a truly free and independent life, we mean it. And that's exactly what Gary Collins, who is the creator of The Simple Life, set out to accomplish. And now you have a chance to learn all the secrets that Gary has developed over decades of trying it out himself, building these amazing courses, as you can go to thesimplelifenow.com and access three amazing courses, one being the Off the Grid Master Course, two being the how to finance your off-grid home course and three how to find your dream off-grid property course and get an awesome 10% off at checkout by using code TBNS10 that's right you too can learn how to live a truly free and independent lifestyle by living off-grid and all these amazing courses are delivered to you by yes one Gary Collins from the simplelifenow.com use code TBNS10 at checkout for 10% off your order and start living your free life today can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Well, happy Monday there, folks. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Yes, you are in store for another phenomenal conversation, as today we are joined by another great guest, and today we're focusing on that of the up-and-coming generations. What can we expect from the, uh, the future? of our, our political discourse as we see the young folk getting more politically involved. I say young folk, obviously tongue-in-cheek, uh, but it's amazing to think that, yes, now we are seeing a brand new uh, political group of folks out there being that of one Gen Z who is going to be a growing uh, voting block. And I think it's important for us to start to talk to some of the movers and shakers in that voting block. And today's guest is Magdalene Rose, who is one of the leading voices in the more conservatarian, libertarian world. Uh, so I had Magdalene on the show today to kind of get uh, more of a, a, I guess, measure in a temperature reading, if you will, of where Gen Z is at, but also what can we expect from some of these movers and shakers in the Gen Z movement as we move forward here into the future. So with that being said, on to the show, Magdalene Rose here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, Magdalene. It's funny. I'm 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 having more and more of these Gen Zers on my show. I feel like I'm an old man at this point uh, because here I am. You know, I'm a tender age of oh my goodness, just pushing thirty. And uh, you're you're obviously in college. I'm assuming you're in college, right? Yeah, I'm a sophomore. I'm 21. Okay, yeah. So I was gonna say you're you're still in in the thick of you know your educational experience, learning things and experiencing things. Yeah. And I guess for me and us old funny duddies out there, right? What's life like? What's this whole, you know, Gen Z college experience like also through the lens of a conservative? Well, because of COVID, a lot of things have gone digital. So a lot of our classes have all become digital. You know, I've taken a different perspective on how to get through college. There have been quite a few times and I go to a, like a, not a not at all a hard left school or anything. And I'm not in a social sciences program, but there have been times where I've been asked to write papers that I don't agree with the prompt. I don't think that it's true. And I sort of, I quantify that between, am I going to get this grade or am I going to die on this hill? You know, trying to 
prove my point. And I think right now, a lot of young conservatives and just a, a lot of young non-leftists, that's the perspective we're taking. Things are not overtly nasty right now. I think a lot of that has to do with Biden's people. And by Biden's people, I don't mean his administration. I mean the activists he knows telling everyone mm. to lower the temperature so he can be seen as a unifier. But what is happening is that the curriculum in colleges is getting more and more partisan. And that's something that I've dealt with and other people have dealt with. But by, I think Biden's whole team is trying to lower. They don't want more Berkeley riots. They want things calmed down a little bit. But mm. what that's causing is a change in the partisanship of curriculum across the board in every subject. So talk to us, right? Because it's been a while since, like I said, a lot of us have been in, in college. So you talked mm-hmm. about the curriculum uh, being very uh, aggressive. Let's let's kind of dig in, into that a little bit more. What what have you experienced in in your you know obviously what now two years or so of college yeah. um you know in, in terms of the curriculum for this this radicalization you're speaking of well, I have an environmental science course, and I actually find energy and you know environmental science quite interesting. I studied it in high school. I care about it. But what I've noticed more and more in these prompts, especially a recent essay I did, it's not should we you know be dealing with carbon emissions? It's how do we do it? It's how do we do these things? So the, the, the question set up of how we're going to address environmental issues like pollution is no longer that. Now it is we accept this as fact, and I accept a lot of it as fact as well, but I would think at a college level there would be more debate about it. So yeah. now it's we accept this as fact. You know, another situation in, in another class I had where we were supposed to be learning about sociology, and it wasn't really sociology. It was why are these group of people factually oppressed and the rest mm. of us aren't? Yep. It's that kind of thing. Now, I'm not somebody who at all gets into debates, and, and sometimes young conservatives are angry at me for that, but I don't want to spend my life debating things. So I write the things that I need to write. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't betray everything I believe, but there is a way to find that middle ground, and I see more and more people having to do that, especially in the first two years of college. That's really where it's being pushed forward in assignments. So I guess one of the things that's going to be important, right, is raising up that this is happening, but also to your point is to not just be the folks focused on always being right in this mm-hmm. debate mentality. It's I think it kind of came from this like Ben Shapiro destroys. It did. It definitely, definitely did. And it angers me so much. I'm glad you brought that up. I've never heard anyone else say that. I remember in 2015, I was 15 in 2015. And I was always a conservative, but I was never a conservative who lived on YouTube watching conservatism. I was more like, oh, Hannity's on. I'll check that out for a few minutes, kind of conservative. But in 2015, Ben Shapiro started these big speaking tours. And he made it so that if you weren't being viciously attacked by the left, if you weren't being dragged by the left or being shouted at, somehow you weren't relevant in conservatism. And that has filtered through and it's created a system where if I, like I'm a young conservative and I'll say all the time, I don't, I don't want to become this hard shell, bitter person in this young conservatives think I'm weak because I'm not willing to be screamed at. So it, it definitely, it definitely has. Yeah. Well, and this is why it's so important on folks candidly like you um, and, and kind of, really why I did a complete 180 of my show back in August is, you know, in, in just so for some context in my show is like, Brian, we've heard the story a million times, but I'm, I'm a sales executive by trade. So one of the things I said was, well, how 
how can I take what I do professionally and apply it to uh, this this kind of world of politics that we find ourselves in? So when you're talking about the, the fundamentals of sales, it's really about you know building trust, building value, and you don't build yeah. trust or value through going in and starting to yell at people. You don't no. go in you yeah. know, guns so blazing. You have to yeah. start out and, and to your point, and this is actually very exciting for me to hear, is that you're already in the mindset and you're leading by example of saying, listen, we have to have conversations, we have to have dialogue with people because at the end of the day, we all have to live here. Yeah, we do. And that's something that people don't realize how how both small and big the young conservative world is. People who are on social media, we all sort of know each other. And I've been in this for just about three years now. And that's one of the biggest disagreements I've had where young conservative leaders and people at the RNC or people on social media will say to me, you're not representing enough because you're not out there debating. A lot of us don't feel like a lot of us feel like we're pretty set in what we believe. It's not my responsibility to go change somebody's mind who's like a socialist. I'm not running for elected office. I'm not the spouse of someone running for elected office. I'm not trying to win your vote. And I think a lot of what's happened in conservatism, it's not even just young conservatism. It was the Trump campaign. It was everything. People became obsessed with proving their point. I've never wanted to do that, but I see it branching off even more into conservatism now. Yeah. And and I guess let's kind of rewind a little bit. I I kind of put the cart before the horse here because (laughs) I was really interested to hear more about what you're doing now. But how about this? Let's kind of rewind a little bit. How did you Mm -hmm. get to where you are? Because it is interesting, right? You you are 21. You're you're not a traditional 21-year-old. Most, I think, 21-year-olds aren't even really focused on politics. And if they are politically active, they probably lean more progressive. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's, you know, just a generalization, but I think it's pretty fair. So the fact that you are politically aware and you find yourself leaning more right in terms of the political uh, identification, what kind of got you to to where you are in terms of your, your politics? Sure. Well, I I grew up in New York City. I grew up in Manhattan. I was born in Brooklyn. So I was born into serious liberalism. All the schools I went to there, seriously liberal, not even just apolitical, liberal schools. And I think part of it is neither of my parents are involved in politics, but I'm an only child and they both had me when they were in their very late 30s. So I grew up with older parents who had really been throughout the world. They had read things, they had traveled, they had held different careers. They really understood like the system of how everything works. So when Obama was running um, against McCain in 2008, I, I was eight, eight and seven. And I be, I was already sort of leaning towards that, towards McCain, because it just in my mind made more sense for someone who had been in the military to be the commander in chief. But I saw Sarah Palin speak. And before I had seen her, I had only seen Laura Bush and Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton, all three of whom are, t- are very accomplished people. But there was nothing for me to identify with. You know, neither none of them wore glasses. They all had short hair. They were all saying the same things. And I saw Sarah Palin speak. And she had glasses on and she was saying things like that I understood, even though she was a vice presidential nominee. So that got me interested in what conservatism was. That was the initial like Lynch, like the pin in it. And then from that, and then from that, I said in class, I like Sarah Palin. I like John McCain. And I got called a racist at eight years old by other young kids. And this went on throughout the rest of my life. I, you know, I said in 12, I support Romney because Obama, like what Obama is doing with foreign policy is a disaster. And then it came into 2016. And I think the moment for me in 2016, I was going to be a Republican anyway. I was not going to be supporting Hillary Clinton. But the thing that really connected me to Trump was I remember when Otto Warmbier was sentenced to what we knew was his death in North Korea. And 
all the Republican nominee candidates were like, this is terrible. It's so horrible. But Trump was very overt in saying, I would bring this boy home. I would just tear up everything. And to me, having watched the failures, having seen videos of people drowned in cages with ISIS, that's what my generation grew up with, with terrorism, with 9-11. I thought we needed someone like Trump in the foreign policy sector. So I'm going to rewind a little bit because what something you said, it, it struck me funny. And, and honestly, it's because in 200 plus episodes of my program, uh, I don't think I've ever had anybody say that Sarah Palin was one of their biggest yeah. political influences. And it's interesting, yeah. right? Because they're... <laughs> You're 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 actually so your generation. I, I I forget that 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 may have been your first kind of experience mm-hmm. into politics. Like my first kind of like political memory is is Bill Clinton being impeached. Um, which yeah. I mean, for me to hear you say that, and then I guess it does speak more to we see this more often than not. Um, people are so quick to attack and go after yeah. people. And we see this, and, and you know, I'm, I'm coming here from the greater libertarian movement. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, rah-rah, team G, uh, LP, team GOP, but I am right. more politically, you know, leaning libertarian. Uh, but I, I see more often than not libertarians from the sidelines tossing stones at people that I, I can't really think we could build some, some relationships with. And, and people like Sarah Palin, who, I mean, I'm not going to yeah. d- dare say I agree with her on probably, it, for myself, politically speaking, maybe 60, 70% of this stuff. But like, Let's work together, I guess, on those things. And you yeah. can't work together on somebody, even on those you know, 60, 70% of things, yeah. if you just start out from saying, I'm going to unperson you, you're not a good person, mm-hmm. um, or I'm not going to take you seriously, make fun of you, mock you, so on and so forth. Yeah. And the thing with Sarah Palin that I, I think this might be something that only people in conservatism would know is she was so trashed by people in conservatism. There was like there was such an assault against her. That's why I have no patience for the McCain family, because they act as if they were the greatest victims. And they allowed they allowed a woman, that woman to be really abused in the political system within his own campaign. And for me, when I look at how to operate in conservatism, I don't want to become like the victim of conservatism in the way that she was. She was really ridiculed. There were conservative journalists uh, because it was sort of the beginning of the real digital journalism age who really attacked her. And that's that's the nastiness of the Republican Party. So when people say to me, why do you think we lost or why do you think this happened? It's because we can't there's no coalition building. There are people who believe there's a certain way to run things and everyone else can't be listened to. So let's kind of, I guess, look to the cause of this, right? Yeah. And and I, I think it's, you know, again, pertinent based on the fact that you're a college student. So you are currently experiencing the, the education system from a secondary uh, perspective. But also you just went through, um, you know, yeah. the, the K-12 system uh, just a short three years ago. So let's kind of rewind to what was the experience right now as a student as you're going through and let's kind of maybe focus more specifically on i say the the formative grades like seventh grade and on what's what's kind of like the experience right now of a a a student what are you learning and and kind of how are you being prepared for let's say real life not just college but actually real life well i had a very very bad experience in that i really struggled with math and science and Math much more than that. Yeah, math much more than that. So I was in a very strange situation where I would go from either honors or AP classes in history and English and an elective, like an AP psychology elective, and then remedial math and science. So I really saw the two levels of the education system from like K through 12, especially in high school. 
And what I learned was what we were learning in remedial math and science is really the basics of science. It really like it's the basics, very slowed down. I do actually think people in those classes, those teachers tend to be kinder than people in the higher up classes. But when I would go to I remember I had an AP history course junior year. What we were learning in there was all very politically charged. So when we were discussing the election, I was hearing things like, oh, well, if Republicans win, we're going to have a rollback to the industrial period. I was hearing things like this. So what I think people are learning in remedial lower level classes, ironically enough, I think it's I think it's a more basic standard of education. And I think that's why when you look at the Trump voters, the people who are have a college degree, have a high school uh, diploma or a GED, they tend to break for him because they were in those more moderate or lower level classes. Whereas the people in the higher classes, having been in, in an AP um, English class, I had no idea what was going on. But yet I would write these philosophically charged things and get A's because it's not about the content. It's about how many words you can put on a page. And that's very attractive to liberals. You know, it's really funny when you say that. Um, so I right now, so I lead a sales team um, and one of my uh, sales guys, he's, he's actually, he's 21 and he took a year off right now with, with college uh, because of everything with COVID. He's like, I'm not going to pay, yeah. you know, in college classes, uh, course, you know, load when I, when I'm you know not even in the, the campus right now. So he's been working for me. And it was funny because, you know, one of the things I'll have my sales team do is, is, you know, go ahead and template some, some marketing emails and stuff that they'll send out, you know, just, it, just generic templates and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to the point now where I'll sit down with them and I'll be like, my, my man, we got, we got just condense it because he, and he's in this mindset of, I just got to put words on yeah. the paper, right? Like, yes. and, and we see this so often and I'm seeing this a lot in, in the, the business world is mm-hmm. people just put stuff yeah. out there just to put it out there. And I'm like, yes. what's the value? And, and, and I think yeah. maybe this is part of the problem and let's kind of look at my, my greater libertarian movement too, before we go back to the education system. But I mean, that's part of our problem is we just have so much content that we want to pr- promote yeah. out there that instead of actually like reaching people and trying to like build value, right. And, and show them, Hey, this is where our ideas can help you solve the problems in your life. Like that's where you actually make some, some, you know, real common ground. So let's kind of go back to education and and you're experiencing it right now in, in obviously in the college world so going from the the private or I guess the, the public school to a college mm-hmm. right what was that experience like did you feel prepared uh you know both in terms of your academic self but also in terms of you know real life responsibilities going from one to the other I felt prepared in that I I was somebody who could get assignments done I did I felt prepared in the submission part of college but I had no idea what I was doing in my writing courses and this was a real frustration for me because I went from being my entire life in 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 um education especially high school in the highest English classes in the highest history classes and then I went into a English class in college I think it was I think it was freshman year and I was doing really poorly And I had no idea why. And one of the things my professor said to me, who's a very good professor, was, I don't think you've ever been taught to write with a word limit. I don't think you've ever been taught real formatting. And this was this is something I've now heard from other people. So I'm spending what should be time, you know, studying, relearning APA formatting or MLA formatting, or that they're not always at the same time. 
And that's something I don't think parents are aware. I don't understand why parents in this country are not enraged about a million things, but they should specifically be enraged about the fact that the first two years of college is the is the learning or re, revamping of basic skills. I, I sit here and I wonder what exactly I did, especially in my AP English class junior year high school, because what I, I was getting a C in English, you know, in college and technically I was supposed to have taken that course with an AP course. And I really realized how little AP courses actually match up with college level work. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically for every single or, uh, high school senior, you are D'Angelo Vickers from the office when he goes, yeah, I got time. This job's a joke. And, yeah. and like, that's, I mean, I remember my senior year and I yeah. remember I had like three study halls and, yes. and like, yes okay, why couldn't I, you know, why was I forced to go to like to the public school system? Like, why couldn't I have taken a step ahead and used that time differently? But no, like, to your point, it, it seems more so, and this is really interesting that you brought this up, that you felt very prepared for the deadlines, the timelines. Yes, and testing. Yes. Yeah, and that right there, how about that? Like, and I forget who who brought. Actually, you know who I think it was. I think it was Michael Malice. He he mentioned this that when you look at the way that our education, or if we want to really call it what it is, the schooling system, which is based off yeah. the Prussian model, it was to make um, the American populace pretty much these glorified good test takers. Like you can yes. go to the DMV, you take your little yeah. piece of paper, you fill it out, you go stand in line, you go, and we can do that all day long. We can you know regurgitate the answers that we've been told. But in terms of critically thinking and, and trying yeah. to think outside the box, not only is that not taught, but it's actually discouraged in, in especially in the public education sector. So I guess when you went to, to the private schooling, have you found that you've been challenged in terms of like critical thinking and, and trying to get you to think outside the box compared to the confines of the, the original public schooling system? Not really. No, I think I've been challenged. I think, I think I've been challenged in my skills of, of like analyzing context in writing and analyzing the types of writing. I did a live stream. Of, I think it was about a year ago about the ridiculousness of having to take courses that have nothing to do with, with your life in high school. And I had a situation where I had to do summer school for chemistry. Now there's no situation in any world in which I'm going to be involved in anything involving chemistry or science. It's just not happening. But yet, because I was failing the required class of chemistry, I had to spend my summer learning the basics of chemistry. So sitting here as a college sophomore, I think back to that time and I think that class, or even if it had to be a summer program, if I had spent that time learning the basics of sociology or the basics of philosophy or something else I could have used in class in as a college sophomore, I wouldn't, that would have been a much better use of time. But the problem is conservatives, I think, think that we have to just move away from everything public. But if the majority of people are still in public education, you're still going to get these ideas in every every facet of the education system. Yeah. So I guess then the the million dollar question is how do we make some substantive changes? Now I have my opinion, and and that is looking at the options like education savings account, as was discussed by a recent guest Corey DeAngelis from the Reason Foundation. I'm um, looking at school choice, uh, giving options to parents, having mm -hmm. the money follow the students, not institutions. So let's yeah. kind of get away from that and more focus. How about on the actual like being a student? What can students do to help maybe? stand up a little bit more against this kind of system that has been put in place to push, you know, these square pegs through round holes? Yeah. I think students have to get their parents angry about what's happening. 
Because my mom, I'm an only child, so my, my I was the only child my mom was focused on in education. But she came from an era where, you know, what you learned was really high level classical learning. She went to 12 years of Catholic school. So she was she was reading things in fourth grade that I was reading in senior year of high school. So what I think needs to happen is not necessarily students, you know, being upset about things in classrooms, but you got to mobilize parents so that parents are truly aware of what's being taught and not what's being taught even from a political slant, but just just the nothingness that's being taught. I've had so many parents reach out to me since COVID began with the school lockdowns who've said, I'm not really a conservative. I'm not really political, but I've seen your videos about education and I really realize how little my child is learning. If they can do all their schoolwork at the kitchen table in an hour and I have nothing else to give them from their teacher. So parents need to be made aware of all this. And I also, I don't think the, like, the solution to, the, to revamping the education system can come from school choice. I think we have to go so far into the private sector because even with school choice, you're still dealing with the same basic level of curriculum issues because of the textbook publisher companies. So that I want to move even further to the private sector for that. So how, how do you propose that then? How would you say, I mean, beyond obviously getting parents angry and also parents, by the way, get angry. Like if your yeah, kids are telling angry. you, get angry, right? Um, so mm-hmm. beyond that, like let's let's talk about that, the publishers and stuff. How yeah. can you help focus on the curriculum? Is it, is it one of those things where we have to put our money where our mouths are supporting alternative organizations or, or maybe trying to get people who are the big publishers to, to change uh, their direction? I think we need a new edu- a new type of education system in the private mm. sector. Oh, um, okay. You're never gonna, you're never going to change textbook publishers because our anger, or even the, even the anger of millions of people, is never going to make Pearson change what they're doing. It's just too invested. Personally, I I hear people say, you know, we can we can change this this at the PTA. Yes, you can do all those things. But I think we need to really think about what an educated person is, because you cannot tell me that someone who understands, you know, online branding and e-commerce and marketing and, and how to do retention for customers or viewers is less educated than someone with a bachelor's in fine arts. So we as we as a country need to figure out where that falls. And I think you do that through through research projects. And from that, you create private sector solutions. That's something that has divided me a little bit with conservatives, because even though we're supposed to be the private sector people, and this is the biggest argument I have with them, they want to fix it from a legislation standpoint. Bush tried that, and it got us where we are now with Common Core and what Obama did. So it, it doesn't work in the government setting. Man, Magdalene, I, I hear myself from you know 10 years ago, which is really funny uh, because I, I think one thing as I'm going through my greater libertarian circles and stuff. And I'm finding folks when they go through like their progressions, it's like this like college time right now where you're starting to say like, guys, come on, like, you know, let, let's go. Like, I thought we were in, you know, agreement. We're supposed to, you know, limit the size of the state. We're supposed to push things back yeah. towards the market. And like, then you start to realize that unfortunately, a lot of this power structure and the incentive structures built therein they incentivize, unfortunately, some really good people to not necessarily do the right things. Um, and right. we see this more often than not. I mean, I, I I remember some really great Tea Party names back in the early 2010s yes. who, yes. now they're not, blech, they're gross. Yeah. Um, and and I, like for me, I'm like, well, that stinks because those were the people you used to be able to look to. But now I'm really like, yeah. okay, I, now I see 
it unfortunately, when you do have people who are in pursuit of power or they have higher aspirational goals, that yeah. sometimes those aspirational goals, they do kind of supersede um, the principles. So it's funny, my wife and I just finished watching um, the movie Irresistible, for, uh, the John Stewart movie uh, starring Steve Carell, where basically um, there's this town in Wisconsin and uh, there's a, a guy who does this whole speech at a town hall and it's, you know, it's a very... Uh, red town. Oh but, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, yeah. but it speaks to, I think, right now there is this, and, and maybe we can use this as we start to to focus towards the end of the episode. But I think there is right now across the board this understanding that there's something wrong, like the system, yeah. like yeah, I don't care if you're left. Right, conservative, yeah. you know, liberal, Democrat, Republican. Like, I don't care. Something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, we all know it just feels weird. So, yes. I guess part of what I've been trying to do is to build up this, this you know, coalition of people who we all are agreeing something's wrong. And now can we just, like, start to <laughs> go towards a general direction of trying to find some solutions. So let me ask you this. You're coming from the more conservative uh, side of things and you're younger. You have uh, the the ear, I guess, of Gen Z. Um, I just had uh, a couple of Gen Zers on the show over the past few weeks. So I'm trying to to pick the brains of you folks. So what's kind of your, um, your gut? Where do you think we can have some success in reaching Gen Z on issues that matter to you guys to make you guys start to see the value of just pro Liberty solutions? Well, we have to all accept the reality that the private sector has more power in this country than the government does at this point. I think what we've seen with with the way social media has like the social media companies have done purges, with the way banks have taken actions, the country may be being run at an executive level by the government, but everything else is done by the private sector. So in order to get young people interested in something other than protesting or other than owning the libs, you need to say, here's this private sector company or this nonprofit or whatever, and they're doing this, and this will solve this specific problem. And if you help us with that, this problem you have will get better. And then you can focus on the other things. Because my generation, I hear this thing repeated by, I don't know who started this, but there's this thing repeated by conservative pundits that my generation is much more conservative. It's not that we're more conservative. It's that we're more skeptical. It's that we are very used to just Googling people before we go hang out with them or before we go on a date. We Google people. like We understand how to do basic vetting. And it's the vetting of ideas and the vetting of people. So if we can put up nonprofits or private sector leaders or business leaders who can stand up to that vetting process, you can have real leaders that can attract attract young people. And business leaders very rarely are going to be like burn down capitalism or burn burn down having you know trade and, and private marketplaces. So once you have that, you have a better crop of people to listen to. And I think on the right, we need to to stop listening exclusively to people on Fox News because it has gotten us to a very, very bad place and it, it's not getting better. <sighs> I, I hear you there. It's funny. Whenever I, I go to you know some place, where, wherever it may be, and they have the, the cable news on, be it Fox News or, or CNN, I just, I kind of sit there for a second and I'm like, this is what your average person sees. And this, it, it's really, it's a weird kind of like, I hate the, the I don't want to do the whole red pill, uh, blue pill thing, but like the, the like this, if this is the confines of what you're getting your information from, yes, like your entire worldview is warped based on yeah. this reality. Yeah. And that's scary. Like that's actually a little scary to me. And I think it, to your point, it is 
very important for us to be aware of where we're getting our our information um yeah check your biases like you know make sure mm-hmm. that you're you're checking check your own side too like that's super important um and yeah. hey to see that we have a good generation of folks um who are starting to to lead that charge magdalene that's exciting so how about this because obviously i think folks are going to be excited after this episode to go and follow you and, and see all that you have yeah. going down the uh, the road here so where can folks go ahead and and follow all the works you're doing Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Magdalene Rose, M-A-H-G-D-A-L-E-N Rose. And it's the same on Instagram and YouTube. And I'm also a contributor for Freedomist, which is a young conservative organization where I write articles. But if you go to my Twitter bio, you'll see a link for all that. And you'll see my show on the Mick Files, which airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. on YouTube. It's all linked in my Twitter bio. And I like what you said about um, making sure that we have different ways of looking at media, because that's something that I've done from the very beginning. And I think it's why I'm still sane. I don't I don't take in every conservative newspaper is very few that I read and I think that that's a great way to stay sane as a young person in, in politics in general Amen all right well listen Magdalene Rose we are in good hands if uh, at least half a generation out there is, is in mm-hmm. at least thinking in a, ra- a, a well well-rounded perspective like you are here um so thank you for all the work you're doing and hopefully more people are going to start to see the the value and the merits of uh the ideas that we're promoting here uh, not just the Brian Nichols show but uh all across uh, the uh, the pro-liberty world Magdalene Rose thank you for joining the Brian Nichols show Thank you for having me. But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Okay, but what if you did want to get more coffee into your life? Well, good news for you, folks. We have a brand new sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show. It is one run-your-mouth coffee free speech. Never tasted so good. The hope is that the delicious roast-to-order coffee provides you with the fuel. Yes, you need to stand up to censorship and proudly run your mouth with amazing coffee to help you truly speak freely from 12-ounce bags up to 2-pound bags. All of the coffee from the amazing Run Your Mouth Coffee is roasted to order after roasting delivery. It takes around 2-5 to days, meaning that you will receive fresh roasted coffee made for you at peak flavor. And all coffee varieties are available both in ground and whole bean. From espresso yourself, speak freely, mind changer, pumpkin persuasion, and rebellion beans, Run Your Mouth Coffee has some delicious coffee just in store for you. And folks, if you are a listener of The Brian Nichols Show, you can use code NICHOLS at checkout and get 10% off your order. So head over to Run Your Mouth Coffee. Make sure you use code NICHOLS at checkout. Get 10% off your order and run your mouth today. Alrighty, folks, that's gonna wrap my conversation up with Magdalene Rose. And yes, it's great to get our uh, our reading of how things are gonna be looking here for Gen Z. Uh, and if we have folks like Magdalene read, uh, leading the, the charge there, I think we're gonna be in a much better shot and uh, position than we would be otherwise. Coming up here on Wednesday, we have David Dozer. Now, David is joining the Brian Nichols Show to discuss capital punishment, but also to discuss uh, really where we can find some common ground. Now, David is coming more from the left, um, being that of a professor out in the uh, in the West Coast in California, but um, also being able to have uh, ways that we can bring these conversations to the forefront and find common ground. It is important, and I think it was a great conversation. So make sure you're going ahead and uh, subscribing, right, to every single episode here on The Brian Nichols Show. Don't want you missing any episodes as we come down the pike with uh, the episode coming up, yes, on Wednesday with David Dozer or on Friday, our great conversation uh, coming in store with Jack Hunter. So head over to Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you get your uh, uh, podcast downloaded, whether it's your your favorite podcast catcher like mine is Podcast Addict or Stitcher, SoundCloud, or, but whatever it is, make sure you hit subscribe. And number one, number two, 
then head over and give us a five-star rating and review. We don't charge a single thing here at The Brian Nichols Show for you guys to come back, yes, three times a week with sometimes some awesome bonus episodes and, yes, some special candidate episodes. So all I ask is if you guys enjoy what you're hearing here at The Brian Nichols Show, well, just head over and give us a five-star rating and review and just tell folks why it is that you listen to the show every single week. Why is it? Are you a long-time listener, a brand-new listener? What value do you get from the show? And I love to hear it, and I will go ahead and make sure on uh, Friday's episodes we read said reviews. And it's always great to hear uh, exactly what it is that got you guys here to be long-term listeners. And again, those brand new listeners of The Brian Nichols Show. So with that being said, if you want to go ahead and follow me on social media, follow me at Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com, or email me, Brian, at BrianNicholsShow.com. So I mentioned I have the episode coming up here with David Dozer on Wednesday, so don't miss that episode. Hit subscribe. With that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Magdalene Rose. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.